great future. We're talking real money. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the uh, the the dual version of Talking Real Money. It's both audio and video. And uh, we do this when Tom is not in Lake Chelan sucking smoke. You're, you're back in the office, right? Yes, I am back. As clearly, as you can clearly, see from yeah. behind me. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Just want to make sure that wasn't like, you know, because people do all this green screen <coughs> stuff now. I'm getting over the <coughs> smoking thing. I feel better. Thank you. <clears throat> uh, we're going to talk about, well, money, investing. Saving money, spending money, particularly, particularly investing it and protecting it because people are out there to uh, to try to take advantage of you a lot. And uh, we want to try and give you time-tested advice. You see, there's a difference between what we give you. We've had time to test things. We've done the screwing up, so you don't have to. Uh, Tom, do you, do, you, do you remember back when you were in your 20s and 30s? Do you kind of remember that? I do. Yeah. And what did we think we knew when we were in our 20s and 30s? Everything. Right. What did we find out when we got to our 50s and uh, early 60s? Very, very little did we actually know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it turns out that today's crop of new investors, and, and thank God for all of you. We love you to pieces. We're glad you're there. But you don't listen. You don't listen. Remember, you're just past being a teenager where you really didn't listen. Remember? Um, they don't want to listen to old people like us, but it might pay to do so because there was a, um, a new survey out recently on new investors breaking the investing mold. Which, by I the way, know. might be a good mold to break for a variety of reasons anyway, but let's talk about this. But which mold? Yeah, it's, it's really which mold? Yeah, it's not the jello mold. Anyway, so let's talk. CNBC did the survey. 5,500 U.S. adults, they're calling them adults. Well, Well, young adults. Maybe in a minute. Um, More than a quarter of them, that's more than 25%, just have started investing in the last 18 months. That's the important part of this survey. So a lot of them, 75% or so, have been investors for a long time longer period of time. So the comparison is between people that have started investing recently mm-hmm. and people that have been investors for a longer period than that. So they're comparing the two. And when you compare the two, yes, there are some pretty startling differences, but none of these I think will really surprise you. The people that started investing in the last 18 months, 26% of them use cryptocurrency. Only 12% of the people that have been investing longer than that. Uh, <sighs> self-service mobile app. I need to app. sigh. I have to sigh over that Self-service one. mobile <sighs> app. 63% yeah. of the people that started investing the last 18 months are using a self-service mobile app. Only 20% of the olders are doing okay, that. Okay, now that's not such a bad thing. The no. first one I'm, I'm not happy with, but that second one, not such a bad thing. Yeah, we'll take that up in a minute. But here's the one I think that is probably the biggest takeaway. More than a third of the newer investors use for their source of investing ideas. They even call them ideas, which we think is a bad idea. Thank you. Uh, More than a third of them use social media for their investing ideas. Less than 15% of the olders do the same. And here's the other part. Investing to the newer group is the instant gratification. Hey, I made a lot of money on this trade. Look what happened. Share it with my friends. 
instead, as you and I know, we really do know this, that investing should be long-term, should be about compounding, not just a quick trade to turn a buck. So there's the aspect of instant gratification, which can really lead to some bad habits. Those are my biggest takeaways. The survey's up at CNBC, which I hope many of you don't frequent, but it is available and you can go read it there. Here's the thing. What they're, what they're, they're, younger investors are relying on, for their feedback on the success of their investments, adrenaline. The gambler's adrenaline rush. And that's not the way investing is supposed to work. Now, I'll admit, when I was in my late 20s and I finally had money to invest, late 20s, early 30s, I did dumb stuff like picking stocks or buying options or writing covered calls or, you know, trying to do the latest hot thing, trying to be in the sector that was hot. And I remember that when I was successful, there was an adrenaline rush. That should not be the measure of investing success. The measure of investing success is whether or not you are on track to meet your goals. Whether or not your portfolio is comfortable for you for the long haul, for the rest of your life. And whether your decisions are based on gut feelings, hunches, ideas as you call them, or based on academic research. And let me tell you, none of the academic research supports what most young investors are doing these days. Now, let's take the gratification part. I mean, I think a very well-known academic once said investing should be like watching paint dry or grass grow. It should not be exciting, instantly rewarding. Um, You mentioned something interesting, though, here, because I think a lot of young people, and I know I had this struggle a little bit in my 30s even, (coughs) goals that and, and part of the class I'm going to be teaching soon to uh, at a local college, I'm going to talk about that any point in your life, you should probably have a five-year goal of something. You're trying to work your way towards something, right? I think that makes sense. So I think goals are a good thing. But let's talk about the good news out of this. There are two pieces of good news. Number one, young people are in saving something and investing. That's good news. Number two, uh, they're providing liquidity in the markets. Right, which is a okay. good thing. We Thank like you. that. Yeah. Thank you for helping the rest of us make serious money. We really do appreciate it. Now, the bad news, of course, is investing should not be a series of ideas ever. Mm-hmm. And we see this all the t- people bring their portfolios in all the time. And they got a little bit of this and they bought a little bit of that. And somebody told them they really had to own this stock or this fund. Investing is not. It it is a portfolio, truly, of long-term assets, not ideas. And getting those ideas from social media, that is really awful because we know, we know this from talking to people that you come in and tell us about all the things you did right and all the big winners. And then we look at your portfolio and it turns out, well, yeah, you had a couple winners, but what about all those other losers that you don't share with people? You You don't pay attention to the losers. Best left forgotten. Yeah, exactly. And here's the other part that really concerns me. In the longer haul, the fact that more than 25% of you newer investors are investing in crypto. Here's what my takeaway is. When that blows up, I don't know how, Thank you. I don't know Thank when. you for saying when. I don't know if, when. I don't know how. Because it's a when. Yeah. 
When it does, it will, a lot of you, a lot of newer investors will be discouraged, right? Because they'll think, well, I thought I was hitting a home run because it went from 30000 to 50000 then it went to whatever. That's going to be discouraging and that will be hard for people in the longer haul. So that does concern me. That truly is bad news. So I don't think the survey is all bad news. Again, because no, 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 it's no, great no, no. that because they're investing. You're right. They're, they're yeah. investing and saving, saving and investing. That's good, but the methods are not good for your financial health in the long haul. That's how I'd put it. The problem is, and and I've discussed this in my family, is that life lessons are difficult to teach. They are almost always better learned than taught. So we can preach all we want about what you should be doing, but the reality is that a lot of you aren't going to change the way you invest until abject failure slaps you in the face. Or, we learn by failing. And you make a raise a good point with the family part. Oftentimes it takes Tom and Don talking to others, not Tom and Don talking to their own families because they don't always listen either. Oh, so, no, no, yeah, no. Are, no, are you kidding? Are you kidding? That's why I love you guys because you're the only ones I know who actually go, oh, thank you for the good advice. Yeah. It, My kids have never done that. They don't. Well, never. never. A, not a good No, they, when it comes to you know, investing, they, they uh, I can't even get into the stuff they do. Which is, they don't listen. They've been hearing this for for decades. Yeah, they don't have. listen. Mm-hmm. Well, folks, eight five five nine three five talk. That's a really important phone number. If you use that number judiciously, you will become a participant in talking real money, asking questions, making snide comments sometimes, correcting us regularly. Uh oh, what's coming? Yes, we do make mistakes. We, we generally correct ourselves in relatively short order, but I know you like doing that, so go ahead. You can also send your questions in at TalkingRealMoney.com. And here's how that works. There are two ways to do it. You can type them, or you can speak them into your computer microphone. Um, we do a lot of the, the recorded ones, but during these podcasts, we try to do the tons of written ones because for some reason... You prefer typing. I'm not sure why, but you really do prefer People typing. People don't like the sound of their own voice. I guess. I don't yeah. know. You're about so, the only guy um, who likes gonna, the sound of his own voice. Uh, uh, you know, it's funny. When I was younger, I did not. It wasn't, it wasn't until I turned like 15 that I suddenly liked my voice. Because it suddenly got deep. And I went, oh, well, that's kind of cool. Let's do two. I have a really short one and then a slightly longer, but none of the conversions. No, no, we've got no, no, no tomes, you know, no novellas, missives. This one's easy. I'm 50. I have excellent credit and $1 million in equity in my home. This is a question a lot of people ask, I think. Mm -hmm. Should I leave the equity there or treat my home like an ATM and do a cash-out refi at a competitive rate and then invest the money using one of your strategies? This is a really important question, Tom. Yeah, and so this is – here's the thing. I am not a fan of being in debt. Mm-hmm, but. For a variety of reasons. (laughs) Uh, You know, one thing we've learned from 2008 is the people that – we're not in debt, uh-huh. did 
well, right? The people that owed a lot of money, whatever interest rate, had a tougher time. If they lost their job, whatever, whatever. So I'm not a fan of borrowing money and investing it. That I, mm. I don't like it. it it's a, it, I don't know, by the way. Yes, if you borrow it at three three and a half percent and invest it, you should make more. Should. But I don't, I, I personally don't think that's a good thing to do. Well, then I'm going to call you on this one. Please. Because what about those times when you tell people, don't put a big down payment in your house, invest it instead? Isn't this exactly the same thing in essence? I mean, taking money out at two and three quarters or 3% or on a 10-year note at just over 2% and then investing it for a decade. I don't think you can get a HELOC at 2%. No, a cash out refi though you oh, can. Oh, cash out refi. So you could get it at two. Yeah, like, I mean, right, like right now, I, I, I know my house needs some work. Now I thought I can pull it out of my investments, but they're yeah. doing well. Or I can no, refi. They've done, they've done. They've well. done well. They've yeah. done well. Or I can refi my house at right, which I'm doing at two point seven five, and take out a hundred thousand dollars for the home improvements. And if there's anything left after that, then you know what I'll do with it. I'll invest it in my portfolio that I expect, and I don't know this, but I expect to to earn in excess of four percent a year. Yeah, but remember, then you're going to have taxes that are your partner there. Yeah, yeah but I get There's a tax. Be de- some sort of I get a tax deduction. That. I get a tax deduction up to the for my the for my is, home yes. interest. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Again, it here's the thing. I guess I'd want to know more is yeah. what is your liquid position. In other words, because in in just to make if you're going to talk your personal situation, I could probably do the same thing because I have a lot of equity in my. You house. have a lot, yeah. And invest it, but I already have liquid invest. Why do I need to do that? I'd rather, in my yeah, good own point. mind, I'd rather pay it low. And when I get to the place where I'm retiring, I've already shared this. I'm yeah. going to write another thirty-year note. It, the, it's going to be a very small payment every month. So now my cost of living went from here to there in retirement, and I still have plenty of liquidity. Again, yeah. it's a personal preference. Yeah, I would and just here's, prefer not to add debt. Overall. Yeah, here's the other part of the personal preference. The house. Is this the house? Good point. You want to be in when you're very, very, very old. And, uh, you know, because for some, there is great comfort in having a house that is fully paid for. So that's another thing to consider. So there's a lot of, there, and this is the, the answer to almost every question we get. There's a ton of variability in it the depends. answer, depending on your situation. Yeah. Yeah. Our answer almost over is it I will still say that in a general sense, I'm opposed to borrowing money and investing it. Because you could do the same thing with leverage, right? Right. Right, right, right. But I can't borrow money on margin at two and three quarter. Now, what is the margin rate these days? I I really don't know. I mean, in other words, if you have a million dollars in your account, and how much can you margin up on a million dollars? I really don't know. I'm not as rich as you. I didn't say I had a million. I just said if you had a million. Margin rate you, right now is 7.07. Oh. Yeah, so in that case, wow. I mean, you really got to make some good bets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> some good ideas. Have yeah, that's good really, ideas. really high. Yeah. You want one more question real quick? Yeah, yeah please. We got go, hurry. Yep. Oh, just, just kind of find it. I had it. You know, I can only put one up at a time. Uh, hello, Tom and Don. 
Quickly want to thank you for helping me gain peace of mind related to my finances by listening and learning from your podcast. I have been freed from the bondage of dependency on the low-life, blood-sucking, opaque, money-grubbing financial industry. Got that off my chest. Couldn't have said it better ourselves. That's funny. Wait, I got to say that again. Low-life, blood-sucking opaque, money-grubbing financial industry. I just did so much fun to say. Anyway, the reason I'm writing today is to ask if you could give some attention to the uh, the expected to the expected cost of health care. I'm 59, plan to work till I'm 62. I know that I won't be eligible for Medicare until I'm age 65. So question one, if I'm needing to cover my health care costs for those three years, 62 to 65, do you have a ballpark range of what the cost might be? Yeah, a, a lot. lot. Thank you. That was easy. Yeah. Okay, I think there's two parts. Number because he's asking about sort of, or she, uh, the uh, increase in healthcare. Our financial planning software runs inflation on healthcare at six percent a year. Six. That's tw- wow. double the typical inflation wow. rate going back to the 1930s. That's number one. Number two, this gap period of time. If I was employed, then at first the first stop would be COBRA as long as you can get it because that's going right. to be far cheaper than going out and buying it on the economy. Part two, I think when we run this, and some of this is dependent on the state and all that because there isn't one system, obviously. But um, again, the software, I think, runs it somewhere like $800 a month. It's oh, not oh, cheap. Oh. I would think I I got to tell you from personal experience shopping the both the the healthcare website and actually paying on my own for most of my adult life until recently uh, that uh, at age sixty two I was paying two thousand dollars a month. Wow! For just for you, or is that you? Well, for me and my wife. Okay, so I, I'm not far off eight hundred to a thousand a person. Yeah. So he is saying, though, he goes, then after after 65, when Medicare kicks in, what should I plan for at that point? Wow. wow his, his expectations are, let me give you his expectations. He says, right now I'm using 2500 a month for 62 to 65. Wow. That's actually really accurate. And 1000 a month after age 65. That's about, having, I think, what that's about right with a decent supplement. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing he's wrong good. about is he's saying, I'm having those numbers increase by 3% per year. You're saying six. six. The software says six because that's what it's been. Okay. So your numbers are good. Your base numbers are good. Mm-hmm. Just inflate them at a slightly higher rate. Slightly and double Double. Rate. Okay. A much higher rate. <laughs> and, and But bear in mind that there are proposals floating around, and you are 59. There are proposals floating around. It really depends on what happens politically to crank Medicare down to 60. I've seen those recently. Oh, from, I had not so known that. So that is a okay. possibility, but don't count on it. All right. Thank you for your question. Thank you all for your questions. Thank you all for watching and listening or listening and watching. If you haven't watched and you want to actually look at our mugs, just go to YouTube. we got a YouTube channel called Talking Real Money. How many people Money. are subscribed now? 522, Tom. With a bullet. Okay, wow. that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The other day, Josh said, we're like three or 400. I went, oh, no, oh, contraire, sir. No, uh-uh. <laughs> Over five. 
Um, I wish and, my mother had lived to see me have 500 followers on I YouTube. I know, isn't that amazing? Okay, well, I wish she'd yeah. been around for that. Yeah. Sorry. I know. Sorry, It's Mom. still, actually, 500 followers, really pathetic. It's <laughs> yeah. really, we're, really we're sad. We're being incredibly facetious here. It's yes. really sad. I mean, now. there's a woman who talks about ADHD in adults who has like 300,000 subscribers. So, Well, because they tune in and they... They leave and then they come right back. Come right I back. get it. Oh, uh, and then they resubscribe. I forgot. They resubscribe. Hey, but not I... make fun of people. No, that's a bad Although, idea. One of the things it's we do. Kind of funny though. Yeah. I... Sorry. That's all right. Hey, um, tell a friend or two or ten. If you like the podcast, go to uh, Apple Podcasts and leave a review. And uh, keep listening slash watching. We do try to do two videos a week, and we try to do five audio podcasts a week. So enjoy. Hope you're better educated. I'm Don McDonald. Over there is Tom Cock. We just hang out, talking real money. Talking real money. We hope you realize that the information provided on Talking Real Money is for educational and hopefully enjoyable purposes only. Providing personalized financial planning or investing advice takes time, so please consult with a really good fee-only fiduciary investment, tax, or legal advisor. We know a good one. Investing must always involve risk. In other words, you can and probably will lose money at times. Also, as much as you want it, no one can accurately, consistently predict the future. So, past performance doesn't tell you a darn thing about what the future will bring. Unlike many other programs that say something similar, Talking Real Money is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial products or securities. Instead, the program is provided as a public service by Vestry, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Thanks for listening, and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and disclosures. That should keep the lawyers happy.